Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the house of God. I thank you for the day of the Lord. I thank you for the word of the Lord. I ask you to bless it, O God. Thank you for the people of God, those who love your house. And love your ways and honor you and worship you. We pray your blessing upon your word that it would be a good seed planted in good hearts that would give forth good fruit and a harvest that would glorify your name. Lord, even those that are traveling today that are not here, we pray for their safety. We pray that you would surround them with your goodness, Lord, and that they might have a time of refreshing until they come back to be with us here in the house of God. We pray that those that look online, Lord, that cannot be here and are looking through live stream, that they would be blessed with the same blessing that you're blessing us here at this world-changing headquarters. We pray that you would bless Spring of Life and its leadership and make us a healthy church, that we might be a blessing to the city of Miami and to the citizens of the state of Florida and to those that uh, live in this nation, Lord, as we continue to travel from state to state, from city to city, Lord, as people invite us to come and to share the ministry of what is a man. We pray that what happened this weekend uh, in Houston would be a good seed, Lord, that would bring forth an incredible harvest of nations transformed, Lord, as men stand up and listen to you and obey. Bless your word this morning, Lord. Make it uh, clear to us. Give us clarity. We welcome your word so that we not miss the mark, so that we not sin against you, Lord. And let your word be a lamp unto our feet that we not go astray and stumble. We pray that you would allow your light to shine, that we might make incredible godly decisions that would benefit our homes, our marriages, uh, our wives, Lord, our husbands, Lord. We pray that you would bless our children with godly parents, oh God. We give you thanks for your presence in our lives and the forgiveness of sin through the blood of Jesus. We glorify your name and exalt you, Lord. Now feed our spirit with the bread of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Um, this this uh, season, it seems to be that um, even as, as we were sharing on Wednesday, you don't want to miss a midweek Bible study at Spring of Life Fellowship. Because the worth of what happens here in our uh, Wednesday night Bible study uh, will be sufficient to uh, feed you possibly for the rest of your life in these principles that God is giving us. A lot of people say, Pastor, save those for Sunday. They're too good. And the majority of people come on Sunday and they miss Wednesday. I said, you know something? I think that those that want to be closest to Jesus are the ones that are going to be most blessed. Uh, those that decided to leave their nets and their fishing boats and they followed Jesus for three years were there night and day following the master wherever he would lead. It was those people he told his greatest secrets to and not to the multitude, not to those that were there for the fish and the bread, but those that sat at the table and broke the bread and drank the cup. Um, we have the Lord's Supper every first Wednesday of every month. A lot of you that just come on Sundays never break the bread and drink of the cup of the Lord. I doubt that you're going to be able to do that in eternity. If you've spent your whole lifetime on earth missing the Lord's Supper, and then you decide you're going to go to heaven to sit in the Lord's table, I don't think there's a seat reserved for you. Be careful that if you despise the Lord on the earth, you might not be invited when you get to heaven. Those awful words that he tells people, he says, what are you doing here? And the guy's like, what do you mean what I'm doing here? I'm, I'm here. And he says, depart from me. I don't know you. 
We don't have a relationship. We're not close to one another. So those are awesome words, and they, they bring fear in the heart of man with a good outcome that you might press to be closer to God, not get upset at the preacher. Don't get upset at the preacher. Preacher's just telling you truth. You need to love the truth so that you move in its direction. Last night, Brian Alvarez threw it down. He was preaching it hard and fast. And so I'm sure he did not, he did not win a popularity concert, a contest last night. And people were not happy. When he finished his preaching, he says, I know you guys are all upset at me, but I preach the truth. And that's all that counts. And so the Bible says that if we uh, believe the truth, it'll set us free. And, and truth will bring us to a co closer relationship with God. And, and a lot of times when we're being flattered, and I have people that hate my guts. They, they hate me with like a deep hatred. And, and I've had to come to the conclusion, I said, you hate me for one reason. There's only one reason why you're so upset at me. It's because I'm the only one in your life that has told you truth. That's the only reason they're upset. And, and so I have a predicament. I, I have to pronounce and declare truth. And, and today I, I pray that I'm able to do that also. The Bible, one of the names for this book is the book of life. The book of life, and it's an incredible book because there's no other book upon the earth that will teach you about life like this book. And so if you're not living life according to the Bible, you're not living life as it was supposed to be. You, you just exist, and you're going through the motions, but you're not experiencing life. That's why some people say, I hate life. They snuff out their life. They want to end their life quickly. Um, you'll see that the Bible uh, says uh, in Psalm 133, in verses 1, it says, Behold how good and how pleasurable it is. Those, those are the things that speak about the reality of life. Life is good. Uh, my son's first preaching, Nick, when he got invited to the, to the preacher's mound, the, the preacher's pulpit here, and his first sermon was the good life. And I got a little bit worried when I heard him talk about the good life because I grew up in the 70s and we were listening to the Beach Boys and they had good vibrations and the good life and they were talking about smoking marijuana. So when Nick was coming up with a message, the good life, I'm like, uh-oh, maybe the guy has found marijuana. And no, it wasn't marijuana. It was living life like God intended it to be lived. When you live life the way God prescribed it, it to live, instead of being sad and depressed and hating life, you can say it's good and pleasurable. And the Bible says uh, for us to dwell together in unity, there's something good about that. And if you do that, verse 3 says, it is there in that unity, in that life that God commands the blessing of life that's large. Life without end. Uh, we, we tend to say eternal life is the day we move over to a geographic location called heaven and we start eternal life. But the truth is the life is in Christ. You could start living that life right now. And it says few are there who find it. That means you have to seek out this life in order to find it. And there's tons of people that miss it. It there's tons of people. Ecclesiastes 6 verse 6 says, if a man were to live a thousand years twice, a thousand years twice is 2,000 years. If a man were to live a thousand years twice and not see goodness, and in other words, not see how you're supposed to live life, 
Verse 3 says, it's better that you were never even born. It would be better that you would be um, uh, a stillborn, not even coming out of the womb. If you don't live the life as God intended it, it's better that you not even taken the first breath on earth. So we get this, this, this perspective of life when um, he says that you'll, you'll be able to obtain God commands uh, everlasting, abundant life. He says in John 10.10, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I, I call this diminished life. If you're constantly being stripped of the things that God intended you to enjoy, the thief did not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come. The very purpose of me coming is that you might have life and that you have it in increase or more abundantly. It's super powerful that when you begin to understand, the people are like, man, you guys go to these conferences, you're all over the world, how do you have time to do this? Because my friend, I have found life and I'm living it with abundance. I'm not living it like other people live life and it's diminished quality of life. It's, it's incredible that a person might meet a woman and say, would you want to join with me in life? And then they live the most miserable days of their life because this guy's a loser. He doesn't have Jesus. The Bible says he who has the son has the life. He who doesn't have the son does not have the life. And so there's a secret and there's a mystery about life. And we've called this life in the balance. What's this... Uh, God commanding more life when we're together with the brethren in unity. When we live these experiences, my son and these men have just testified, there's a quality and a depth of life that goes beyond what this world is saying that does not exist and is not worth living. I want you to consider your attitudes concerning this aspect of life. What is life? How do you define it? What's your attitude towards life? What's your mindset? What's your view, your vantage point? What's your outlook? What's your beliefs about this life that God has given us? Because that will determine your pursuit. If, if you don't understand, some people think that life will never end. And so they're going fast and furious in a direction that does not exist. A friend of mine I would talk to all the time as a lawyer, Jeff Cummings. Jeff, you need God. Jeff, you need Christ. Jeff, you need to find the Lord. Jeff, and he says, I don't have time. I need to make money. I need to work. I need to make money. I need to work. I need to make money. I need to work. And at the age of 50, lunchtime came. He went to the bathroom and died in the stall. He breathed his last at a bathroom break at lunchtime without having understood life, without having lived life, without having pursued those things that contain real life. Romans 8, 6 says, if you're carnally minded, that produces death. That means if you're allowing your flesh to pursue things, you're a dead man walking. You're a zombie. 
You're not living life. You're allowing the pursuits of the flesh to dictate your priorities. You're being led by your emotions and your sentiments. And there's nothing more deceitful than the heart. If you're not pursuing what the Bible says you are to pursue, you won't take your first breath in this world. You wouldn't have lived one day. But to be spiritually minded is life. Look at what a, what a, what a paradox. To think like the world thinks is death. But to think like God wants you to think is life and peace. So having $5 million in the bank account is not life. There's a, a whole, I, I have a magazine right here full of people that had millions upon millions of dollars in the bank account. They thought life was the pursuit of wealth, of fame, of celebrity. And they died before they started living. They didn't take one fresh air of the breath of life. And so uh, People Magazine, this was 10 years ago. There's, there's over uh, 150 people, and the title says, Gone Too Soon, Remembering Celebrities That Died Too Young. You don't want this to be you. You don't want to have lived before you have experienced the exuberance of the life God has given us. Galatians 6.8, he who sows to the flesh will reap rottenness, but he who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap abundant life, everlasting life, a life that is so, listen to me, satisfying. Imagine a life satisfied. With, with largeness of existence, but it's for the spiritually minded. It's not for the carnal man. It's not for the worldly minded who are pursuing things from an earthly perspective. And Bill Gothard says, when a man looks at life from God's vantage point, the perspective breathes hope upon his life. If you do life the way God intended you to live life, one day is as a thousand years. Your investment for each moment, each second, each word, each thought is full of life. You would have been satisfied of living in that measure. But to have, he says, a perspective of life from human point of view is despair and depression. Wisdom is looking at life from God's vantage point. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me a vantage point of life that makes me wiser than my days. These men came to Jesus, the rich young ruler in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. He says, Lord, I want to know the secret to life. What do I have to do? He was rich, he was young, and he had a, a place of prominence because he was a ruler. He was a prince. He was young. He had money. He was rich. He was a ruler and yet was not experiencing life. So he comes up to Jesus. He says, I want to know how I can experience a measure of life that I've yet to experience. Teach me how to live out my days. It is super sad to see a father point his son in the wrong direction. It's super sad to see parents that have not modeled the reality of eternity in their home. They have no peace. 
Their peace is determined by, by monetary bank accounts and by spending and, and possessions. If they can buy or sell something, they're experiencing a measure of life. But these men that came up to Jesus, it wasn't in their capacity to be rich, young, and wealthy. In fact, many times when Jesus would be approached in uh, John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him at night and says, listen, we know you come from God, so give us the game plan because I still haven't found it. I'm still depressed. I'm still in despair. And he had a whole bunch of religion. He was a head Pharisee. He was one of the ones that led God's people in the matters of religious affairs. This man was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was a leader of the Jewish people. He comes to Jesus at night and he says, what do I need to do to find this secret life? You guys know the guy Ponce de Leon who came through Florida looking for the fountain of youth. What's the secret to living forever? And he didn't find it. I think he didn't come to Doral into Spring of Life this morning. I think he, did, he missed it because he didn't find Jesus in his pursuit. In Matthew 10, verse 39, Jesus would say these words, Those that try to find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. That, that leads everybody to go crazy. What do you mean, Lord? How, how am I going to find the secret to this life? How will I live it in a measure that I'm satisfied? He who finds his life will lose it. When you finally pursue all your gains, and I challenge you to do this, write down everything you're pursuing. Because I guarantee you when you finish writing all those things down, you would have missed life. But if you say, Lord, all these things I laid down that I might find you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, if I pursue God as my first call and priority, I'm not stripped of this life. I would have found it entirely. John chapter 5, verse 39, he told the, the religious leaders of his day, you search the scriptures. You're trying to do a lot of homework, for in them you think you will find this secret to life. But all these words testify about me. All the description of life is talking about you, man, live life with your creator. I was talking to Nick on the way back for two and a half hours last night on the airplane. And, and being a young man and having life supposedly before him so he could experience his career, his marriage, his family, his finances, his calling in the Lord. I say, Nick, the secret to life is to enjoy every day fellowshipping with your creator. That's life. Enjoy your companionship and a friendship with God. And everything else is just gravy. Don't make your life consist of things that you pursue. Because life is found in Christ. So in, instead of trying to pursue life and pursue scriptures to find a secret, and in verse 40 he says, you search the scripture to try and find life, but you're not willing to come to me, that you may have life. What, what is that? That, you know, the devil tries to dress it up in religion. Well, I go to church too much. I listen to the Bible too much. Listen to me. Don't let the devil deceive you. The life that God has called us to live is more than just coming to Spring of Life Church. 
and to its services. It's intertwined in finding the reality of God's purpose and existence for you. But that is not life. There's people who have been coming here for 20 years and are dead like doornails. They have no life. They have no exuberance for existence. Because they're pursuing it at an earthly level. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2, it says, set your minds above. Do the things above move you more than the things on the earth? Are you moved more by the culture than you are the kingdom? Is is the kingdom not a reality and you have to um, interpret the kingdom through the culture because you don't know the kingdom? And a lot of people are doing that. They're trying to find life expressing the things of this world. The things of this world will never satisfy you. And I challenge you to this. This whole book of Ecclesiastes is written for that purpose. Right smack in the middle of the Bible, there's a book called Ecclesiastes where this man pursues wealth, he pursues fame, he pursues um, uh, laughter, pleasure, and at the end of his pursuit, he says these words, I hate life. Isn't that crazy? After all his pursuit, I I have it written here because it's insane. He says, after all his pursuit, the quality of his existence, Ecclesiastes 2.17. Therefore, I hated life. How is it that some of us have so much bitterness in our existence? I know why. But everything you've tried has given you the result of life stinks. Life is awful. That's that you got the wrong address, my friend. You're knocking at the wrong door. Your pursuits have been shallow and earthly, and they're not. It says trying to find the meaning of life in the pursuit of things is like grasping for the wind. I hated life. Verse 18, he says, I hated all my efforts. I hated everything that I experienced under the sun. He he experienced so many things. Verse 1, he says, I purposed in myself, come now, I will test you with laughter. Therefore, enjoy every pleasure that earth has to offer. And you see these men that are in the pursuit in many directions trying to fill I I, I talk to him on the phone all the time. Hey, guess what? I bought a boat. Oh, that's that's the life. And he says, no, no, no. I sat with one man one night, and I'm talking to him about real life. And he says, you know what life is? Life is Aspen, Colorado. I said, yeah, I've been there. I've been skiing there several times. He goes, no, 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 no. Life is not Aspen in the winter snow. That's what it's known for. Life is Aspen in the summer. That's life. And he's telling this whole table of people. I said, yeah, that's where Hunter Thompson shot himself in the head. He committed suicide in Aspen in the summer. He didn't find life. He shot himself next to his son and his grandson that were in the next room. Why? Because he did not find life. Be careful. 
that you not follow the vanity of the chasing of life in this world's pursuit. That's where it says in Proverbs 4.12, there is a way that seems right to man, but it's in his death. 14.12. There's a way that seems right. You put all your ducks in a row. You're saying, I did it all right, and it came out wrong because you didn't follow the leader. I love that song, Kindergarten. Following the leader, the leader, the leader. We're following the leader wherever he will go. And we're not. You're doing your own thing at your own pace, your own pursuit. You're, you're, you're raising up your, your, your fantasy, your pleasures. You're, you're going in. And when you get zero goose egg, what are you going to tell your wife? I spent all this time wanting to lay at your feet things that do not fill anybody. And then you check out and you're no longer here. And you hadn't even scratched the surface. Proverbs 16, 25. There's a way that seems right to man. There's a way that all indication is you're doing what you're supposed to. But the end is a dead end. It has no promise. And I talked to this man who was uh, Julio Iglesias' um, uh, stage manager for 50 years. And at the end of the life, they lost their, their wealth, they lost their fortune, they lost their friendship, they lost everything, and he's writing his memoirs. And I said, you better write down on the last chapter, you were deceived. You, your last chapter better tell your six boys, your sons, that you pursued the wealth and the fame and the glamour of this world and came to a dead end, my friend. It would be an injustice. For you to live life like you have and not tell the next generation, I went the wrong way. I went the wrong way. I had the wrong priorities. I had the wrong pursuit. I need to find this wellspring of life that the Bible talks about. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, after this man hates life and he hates work, he comes to a conclusion. To everything, there's a season. Life is about seasons. There's a time for things, and you better be living each season in its time, or you miss out life. You miss out your journey in this life. When you should be obedient to your parents, you're being disobedient. You go into another season you're not supposed to be in, and then you hate that season. A woman came to me this week. She was describing a nightmare of a marriage for 40 years. And she says, but I have to tell you a secret. I have never told anybody. I said, what's the secret? My father told me not to marry that man. Isn't that awful? Isn't that awful? Instead of her coming to a wellspring of life, she's drinking from a bitter well. She hates life. He finds that in everything there's a season, a purpose for everything under heaven. Verse 2 there is a season to be born and a season to die. I want to suggest, and you better measure your life by these two periods. Ready? When you were born and when you die. That's your life span. When you go to the grave, there's going to be a tombstone. It's going to have two dates on there. The day you were born, hallelujah, and the day you leave, hallelujah. That's your lifespan. The day you take your first breath, the day you take your last breath. 
And in that time, between beginning and end, is called life. The life you will live upon this earth. And I guarantee you, it doesn't matter how long, how many of those days or how few of those days, living it in the purpose of God is what we're called to do. And anything else falls short. Don't allow anything else to measure and define your life than what God says in his words. Here in 1 Samuel 2.6, it says the Lord is the one that makes sure everybody takes the last breath. And he's the one that gives the first breath. Now, don't, don't think that you're going to take one more breath than what God gives you, please. You have a, a date that is determined before, your, before you take your first breath and it will be your last breath. Because God is the one who gave you breath and only he can take it from you. He has authority to do that. He gives life. He takes life. He brings one down and he to the grave and he brings one up out of the womb. That's what we need to understand. In that season of life and death, verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 7 says, it is he who determines one's wealth. He's the one that makes one poor and makes one rich. He brings one low and he brings one high. I, I, I had a, a blessed childhood, but it was not surrounded by wealthy and prominence and, 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 and lavish luxury. I thank God that we had a, a neighborhood and all of us kids, when we were to get together, it was like 25 of us. And those were the best football games in the world. We played hide and seek in the woods. I would, I would rather that than to live in a castle. What God allotted for me, the simplicity of the, of the normal things of enjoying life were greater than if I would have been at some God knows what wealthy mansion with snobbish kids that can't get mud or, or you know, their, their immune system is super low because they've never been outdoor. So there's wealth that is beyond gold and silver that it's a quality of life that many of you are resenting that. And it's the best of your days. It's the most glorious of God's provision that God made you poor and not rich. I was watching that movie with Mr. Getty who owned Getty Oil. He was one of the richest men in the world and his grandson got kidnapped and his grandfather says, no, I can't afford to give any ransom money. What a miserable grandfather that is. Because he didn't know life is wealthier lived with a grandson than it is having a bunch of money in the bank. And if this was a Christian church, we'd have amens off the roof. But it's God who makes one poor and makes one rich. We're not to resent that. We should enjoy that. He brings one low and lifts up another. Verse 8, he raises up the poor from the dust and lifts up the needy from the ash heap. He's the one that determines nobles. He's the one that makes them sit on a throne. He's the one that's determined the columns of the earth. And he set them in order. He's the one that guards the feet of the godly. Verse 9. But the wicked are silent and perish. For a man shall not be able to live according to his own pursuit. That's, that's a mystery in life. You're not going to determine where you are. God has determined it. This life is ever elusive, found in those who he wants to give it to. In John 6, 66, many of disciples went back because his words were too strong. In verse 67, Jesus says, how about you, 12? Are you going to go away? Are you guys not going to live this life because it's too tough? 
Look what verse 66 says. From that time, many, say with me, many, of his followers, disciples, went back and walked with him no more. They threw the towel on life. They did not want to live the way he had measured life. In verse 67, he tells the 12, how about you? Are you also going to follow them? Do you also want to go away? In verse 68, Peter says some very important words. He says, Lord, where shall we go? Only you. Only you have words of life. Only your instruction leads to experiencing life as God would have us experience life. In John 20, verse 31, John writes these words at the end of all Gospels. He says, all these things were written down. 20, verse 31. These things are written that you might believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that while you believe in him, you might have the life that comes in his name. You might enjoy the way he intended you to live, that's not like a lot of people live. Matthew 6, 25, do not worry. In this life, there is no thought of anxiety for, I was telling Nick yesterday, Nick, enjoy your day-to-day life with Christ and don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be stressed about if I'm going to get married, if I'm going to have kids, if they're going to have a college education, will they get married? Will they retire? Will they be healthy? Do not run ahead of life. Each day has its own concern. Get worry out of your life. A lot of you guys that are worrying, let me just tell you something. 99% of the things you worry about will never come to pass. All you're worried about. It's proven that 99% of the things that concern the heart of an anxious worry wart never even happen. So they spend their whole life, oh my God, what if they bury me alive? Excuse me, man, have you ever been buried alive? No, but what if they do? Stop it! Get those thoughts out of your life. Anything that knocks on the door of your heart to bring you worry, you say, that package is not for me. Because my God says, be anxious for nothing. Where does it say that, Pastor? Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. Well, explain the Greek meaning of nothing. Nada. Nothing. Don't let your heart be raised up in the anxiety of nothing. Everyone who commits suicide is filled with depression due to anxiety. I need a good psychiatrist. I need good pharmaceuticals. I need, no, you don't. You need to stop being anxious. And the Bible tells you how to do this. Ready? Be anxious for nothing. And then the... the prescription is but in everything you go from nothing to everything here don't be anxious about nothing but in everything pray to God let your requests be made known to him verse 8 I mean verse 7 because he will grant you peace this life is a life of peace if you don't worry if you're not anxious 
if you obey the word of God, so that the peace of God, once you let your request be known to God, his peace will come and defend your heart. Guard your heart. Because it's weighed down with the cares of life. And if you have the, the cares of life will make your life unfruitful. You won't be able to do anything. The devil will strip you. He will diminish you. He will limit the expression of life. Do not worry about anything. Do not be anxious. Your God in heaven has it covered. All these things the Gentiles worry about. But your heavenly father knows your life. And he will grant you day to day the provision of the Lord. So what am I supposed to do, pastor? If I'm not going to be worrying, I'm going to have a lot of free time during the day. Verse 8. Start thinking about the good things. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, things that are lovely, things that are of good report, if they are inspiring, if they're virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, let your thoughts be on these things. Let your thoughts be on these things because the time span of life upon the earth, Psalm 90 verse 10 To those that are healthy, 70, and those that are real healthy, 80. The days of our lives are 70 years of life, even if you're strong, and 80 if you're robust. This is a short life. This this week, I I was impressed and inspired by a letter that was written by Charles Krauthammer, who was one of the Fox News political analysts. And he's the voice of common sense in politics for the last 10 years. And he was determined to have several weeks to live. And he writes a letter. And the letter is a goodbye letter. And the letter says like this. He says, I, live, I leave this life with no regrets. There's no should have, could have, would have. I, I lived life well. It was a wonderful life, full and complete. Man, listen to me. If you can't write a letter like this at the end of your life, I'm going to suggest you didn't know Jesus. You didn't know Jesus. You're not supposed to, oh, I can't believe at my last hour, my last breath, my last tear, and all I see are dark clouds. And I, What? Tell people the goodness of the life you've lived and the fullness thereof. Regardless of that, that knocks on your door to take you into eternity. He says, full and complete, with great challenges, it made it worth living. Yeah, I'm sad because I'm leaving, but I leave with the knowledge that I've lived life like it was intended to be lived. I I thought that was a gentleman's way to say goodbye to this earth. I pray that all of us here, world changers, will do the same. He says, you know something, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that was life. And my God was Lord over that life. And his breath is the breath that I breathed. His his every moment was the moment that I lived. I did not. I wasn't in pursuit of vain-filled existence. Paul says goodbye in 2 Timothy 4, 6. He says, for I'm ready 
For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. My life has been for the refreshing of others. And the time of my departure is within reach. I'm about to breathe my last breath, but I have confidence in this experience. Verse 7, because I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, and I have clung, I've held on to my relationship with the Lord. I'm not letting go of this thing. This thing is awesome. It's refreshing. And the reward is in verse 8, finally there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I'm going to get rewarded for the life that I lived the way God wanted me to live it. And the righteous judge, God, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. That live for God's purpose, for God's glory, for God's timeline. We got to be careful that we're not living based on, on possessions. There is no problem to have things. The problem is when the things have you. I was coming to church today. I saw all these men that decided to take the day of the Lord to go to the beach. Listen, my friend, go to the beach every day of your life except on the Lord's day. Why? Because it's not your day. It's his. Glory to God. It's his day. And you know what? He doesn't want you to be here for him. He wants you to be here for you, knucklehead. You needed to hear this today. And this will set the course of your prosperity in the days to come. You won't be a fool. The Bible says there, I believe I wrote it down. It says, do not be a fool and be shortchanged about the life you live. Because these men who did not pursue... Ecclesiastes 7.17... Do not be too wicked, neither be too foolish. If you're wicked and foolish, you will die before your time. You get in the wrong car with the wrong people at the wrong time. See ya. It'll be your last travels. It'll be your last date upon the earth. Why should you die before time? God didn't want you to die, but you were living the life of a fool. You did not redeem the time. You did not live life according to his schedule. I love this, this lifespan of birth and death. Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth. Don't let yourself be deceived. You come from the dust and you will return to the dust. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils and gave him the breath of life. And that's when he began to live. From the first breath of God, your life starts. Let God the creator be the one who sets your life in order. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7, Ecclesiastes 12 7, it says, because one day the dust will return to the earth. Say with me, goodbye. That's it. That's it. The dust will return to the earth as it was before, and the spirit that's within you will return to God who gave it. It's going to be funny because so many people fear death, but they don't understand that the moment that they stop breathing on this side of eternity, they're entered into the glimpse and the reality of heaven. 
It's going to be like a blink of an eye. You're going to like, where am I? Hello, they've come for you. You're no longer upon the earth. You've had your season to live in that environment. Now you are in another environment. Now you're totally in the ballpark of heaven. I want to live a life with no regrets. I don't want to look back at the end of my life like Ecclesiastes 12 says. He says, before the days come, verse 1, remember your creator to live life in the days of your youth. Before the difficult time comes and the years draw near when you say, I haven't found the reason why I'm supposed to be alive. I haven't found why. The time will come where, where, where your life lived without God culminates in the expression of, I miss life. Because I did not pursue it in the manner the book of life dictates. Let's stand this morning. The challenge is that there is a life in Christ. Colossians, I believe, says that this life is hidden in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your mind on the things above and not the things of the earth. Quit being so earthly minded that you cannot find any expression that has true substance of life in it. Set your mind on the things above and not the things on the earth. Verse 3. Why? Because you are no longer to live in this world and you found your life is hidden with Christ in God. He has a game plan for you that has nothing to do with the glory of this world. Has nothing to do. You know something? And that, that's the counterweight. We call it the rhythm of life, the, the seasons of life, the climate. What, what is God doing in this season? What does he have me pursuing? And, and you experience it and then you enjoy it and you move on to the next season. You're not holding Onto a particular expression of existence. I just pray that God give us wisdom. Give us wisdom, Lord, to champion life. Give us, give, you know, this Bill Bright guy, uh, he's the founder of Campus Crusade for, life, for Christ. He, he just opened and started a world-changing ministry in every major university, in every campus, it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. And this man lived such a, such a glorious life that had nothing to do with this world. He lived for the Lord Jesus Christ. He made a mark in this world, and they diagnosed him with a terminal illness. And he said like this. This is exactly his words. He goes, I've spent 50 years showing people how to live for God. And now with this terminal illness, I'm going, to tell, I'm going to show the world how to die for Christ. I've already showed them how to live for Christ. Now watch me die for his glory. I'm like, man, what a champion. What an incredible champion. And, and if you know the substance of life, life is swallowed up. The grave is swallowed up by the life of God in us. It's, it's non-existent. That's, that's a powerful thing about a Christian life. His resurrected life gives us life without end. Life without end. 
So I don't know how this body is going to go down. But I know it's not going to take the life of me. This is not going to take the life. These people like Billy Graham and these champions of the faith says, listen to me. One day the newspaper will say, Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe it for a second. I'll be more alive than I ever was. I just changed address. I have another address. I'm in heaven now. And so that is the reality. And I just pray. I just pray that many of you would break the, the, the yoke of the, the, that thing that draws you away from the life we have in Christ. And, and that your life is so attractive. There's so, such exuberance and joy for life that people are like, man, what drugs are you on? How did you get so high? And it's because now you have the author of life living in your heart. The author of life. Father, thank you for this day in the house of God. Thank you that in the midst of darkness and despair and depression, Lord, you've given us life without end. Life eternal. Life that cannot be destroyed. And that life is in Christ. We pray, O oh God, that we might live the way you intended us to live. That we seek first your kingdom. It's righteousness. That we live for your glory. That we live every breath in the presence of the mighty author of life. We pray, oh God, that you would break the bonds and the yoke of death that grip us to a life without purpose, without meaning, grasping for the wind, hating life, hating work, hating family, hating marriage, hating children, hating life itself because we refuse to come to you, Lord. We refuse to surrender at your feet. And Father, you have promised he who loses his life for my sake will obtain it. And we declare that over our families, our children, our family members, loved ones, our friends. In Jesus' name we pray. And the house of God says amen, amen, and amen.